And then also I was in this mindset of the pathway to becoming a child life specialist. You have to do a practicum. You have to do an internship. You have to volunteer. You have to do all these things to make sure that you look good on a piece of paper to get to the point that you want and to pass the exam. And then I would come to work every day and then I'd go to home, go home every day. And it's kind of like, okay, well now what? And what I had to really force myself to do was to just chill, <laughs> chill out and, and just sit in your job and and be there for a while. And it feels uncomfortable because we're so conditioned to go, 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 go. And once you get there, <laughs> where else are you supposed to go? What else are you supposed to do? Welcome to the Child Life Wildlife Podcast, a platform dedicated to sharing the honest ins and outs and vulnerable truths about the child life profession with your host, Jessica Lewin. Come and gain tangible next steps and confidence as you learn how to use your child life skills, protect your mental health, and glean inspiration, hope, and ideas from fellow certified child life specialists, students, and professionals. And now, here's your host, Jessica Lewin. and welcome to the Child Life Wildlife Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Sabrina Alinajad about her experience working in pre-op. She is a new child life specialist, been a child life specialist for just under a year, and she has a lot of experience and I think resonates with a lot of new graduates and child life specialists and honestly, pretty much anybody. (laughs) I think there's so many things that we talk about in this episode that no matter where you are in your journey, you can distinctly remember what it was like for you your first year as a child life specialist. I feel like I half remember it and I half probably blacked out, but it is such a pivotal time where you're learning and you're learning how you how you learn best, how you educate families and patients and staff and you're getting comfortable and you're on your own and you're nervous about what that looks like, but you're confident in the fact that you passed your certification exam and it's it is such a whirlwind of emotions and I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Sabrina Alinajad about her experience as a new child life specialist working in pre-op as it relates to the child life profession. Hi, Sabrina. Thank you so much for being on the Child Life Wildlife Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited because you are a new blossoming butterfly of a child life specialist. And this was, I feel like, a really highly requested episode because there's so many of you right now. There's so many new child life specialists who are eager to hear that there's other people experiencing these feelings and these thoughts and these emotions because your first year is a big deal. So (laughs) I am so excited for you to share a little bit about your journey. But before we go through all of that, I would love for you to just share a little bit about who you are and how you became a child life specialist, what you love to do, anything that you'd like for me and my listeners to know. Yeah. So I am um, born and raised in San Francisco, California, and I absolutely love living here. You know, being living in this area, I get to travel, you know, 30 minutes to the beach and then I get to go 30 minutes to the mountains Mm -hmm. and you kind of get to just choose 30 minutes to the city. Um, and you kind of get to just choose where you want to go, which I absolutely love because it's 
multiple getaways in one area. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been a child life specialist since April 2021, and it has been an incredible ride (laughs) learning to navigate being a new child life specialist, transitioning from student to uh, child life specialist, Mm -hmm. as well as figuring out this COVID stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Tell me about your practicum and internship experience and how did those impact your future as a new child life specialist? During my practicum, I completed two rotations one in the PICU and then one in the outpatient infusion infusion clinic. And honestly, I don't remember a ton about my practicum experience because I was in a unique situation where me and my co-practicum student were Mm -hmm. the first students into this program. And it's a large children's hospital, but it was in some sense, I don't know that they were prepared Mm -hmm. fully for us. Sure. And it was interesting navigating what it meant to be a practicum student. I didn't know what that fully meant Mm -hmm. and and what my role would look like. Mm -hmm. And I think that my supervisors were also navigating that as they had had interns in the past, but not practicum students. Mm. So figuring out that happy medium between what a volunteer looks like and what an internship look intern student looks like, but then figuring out, well, what does a practicum student look like? Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of um, miscommunication in the beginning, which I feel was, was odd Mm-hmm. Um, to, to kind of navigate. So I feel like I didn't have a typical practicum experience mm-hmm. because of that. But what I do remember during my practicum is that I was able to engage in therapeutic activities with the kids. It, it also kind of taught me, you know, how to react being in a medical setting. Mm-hmm. I had been in hospitals before uh, volunteering, but there was this one moment that I walked into the, a patient room in the PICU for the first time, and I got this rush mm-hmm. of like, on my body. Mm. And I thought I was going to pass out. Mm. And so it really taught me what going into some more of the intense rooms feels like. Mm -hmm. And I got to practice that in a really safe environment, knowing that I was just an observer. I really wasn't doing much except watching my supervisor interact with these fragile and vulnerable families, Mm -hmm. um, which was really interesting. So given the odd dynamics and figuring out what a practicum student looked like in this program, Mm -hmm. I would say most of my practicum was observational. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, I would be able to do those therapeutic activities or therapeutic play with the child in Mm -hmm. mostly the infusion uh, center. Mm -hmm. And it was very simple, very, very brief moments. It wasn't a ton of direct patient interaction. Mm -hmm. So again, kind of with that being said, it still gave me the exposure Mm -hmm. that I think I needed and just being in the hospital environment, seeing child life specialists in action. But I don't know that it really truly prepared me for an internship, Mm. right? I don't even know if it really even validated or verified that this is what I want to do. Okay. It was just getting to see what child life looks like, not as a volunteer. If you could go back, would you recommend to somebody who's listening right now and in this current position where they're like, no, yeah, I feel that. I feel the same way about my practicum. Do you think they should go straight to internship or do another practicum? Everybody's different, obviously. Yeah. I almost, I hate to say this because I would hate to hear this. I know. But yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I would recommend a second practicum. Mm-hmm. Not that that's going to change my mind. Not mm-hmm. that that would change my path of being a child life specialist. But I almost walked into internship, not really having an idea of this like book in my mind of therapeutic activities to do with kids because mm. I didn't get to do as much as I wanted to or as I should have or. 
even just the therapeutic play aspect of it, you felt like you didn't really get to implement any of that. Not even necessarily the observing of procedures and kind of getting those spiels down in your brain of like, how do I prepare a kid for an IV start? Or do you feel like you feel that base being able to observe? Okay. Yes. But also I left my practicum having never seen medical play. Oh, okay. So it was little things like that. Um, that just, it just didn't click all the way the the experience Mm -hmm. itself didn't click all the way and fully show me what child life looks like in a hospital. How many hours was your practicum? Like 120. Okay. Um, and it was a distance from home. So I would have to go, I would drive, it's about two hours from home. So I would drive up on like early Thursday morning and I would do a Thursday, Friday, and I'd stay in the area Mm -hmm. of where this hospital was. And then I would drive home Friday after my shift. So it was a little bit intense mm-hmm. being there back to back two days, but then being gone for so long. Too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was something that I thought about when I was the practicum supervisor was like, how do you give students that continued care and almost like put you in the role of what a child life specialist is while you're still observing? So like, I mean, I really love the hospitals, <laughs> totally non-biased. No, this is definitely biased because this is what I did. <laughs> but I love the, I love the hospital experiences where you're there immersed for like a month straight, Monday through Friday, where you're working the schedule of the child life specialist that you're following. Cause then you get continued care. You get to see sometimes patients from the moment they're admitted to the moment they leave and you get to build those like stronger relationships with your supervisors to where it's not so clunky coming back a week later and being like, Oh, I'm your student. Remember? Haven't seen you in a week. <laughs> so yeah, totally agreed. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, it, it did feel clunky. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good way to describe <laughs> it because it did feel clunky. Like I would just walk in and sometimes there was like miscommunication with my supervisors and mm-hmm. they thought I'd be there at a different day or a different time. And mm. I was confused even how that happened sometimes. So yeah. it just, it felt awkward. And I think that was just the growing pains first of this program. Absolutely. Non-practicum students and that yeah. no fault of theirs. We, we knew up front that we were guinea pigs and we were mm-hmm. going to, also be figuring this out alongside them. But it was just funny. It was just, it was clunky. Yeah, it was clunky. It was clunky. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. So moving into your internship, I guess, talk to me a little bit about the process in between. So like, the year you finished practicum, the time that you're applying for internships, and then when you got the internship, how, what did that look like the timeline? So my timeline between going from my practicum to my internship, I did my practicum in the fall of 2018. Between um, the fall of 2018 and the fall of 2019, I was working a lot. I was trying to continue to build my resume. I was really interested in infant massage class classes. So I enrolled in that um, and did that for, I think it was like a three-day class um, that I was able to participate in infant massage, which mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a, you know, one-on-one coach for a, a child who had autism. And then I worked out of a school for a while. So I was just doing a lot of working for a while and really trying to build my resume, continuing mm-hmm. to volunteer. Oh, I was also going to grad school mm-hmm. um, and working on my, it was a dual master's program. So it was a, this was kind of in the time time frame between the ACLP saying master's degree was required and then going back to no master's degree is not required. 
And I was worried. I was very worried that at some point before I finished, um, I was going to need a master's degree. Mm -hmm. And so I made sure that I had a master's degree in child life. And so this program actually offered that because it was going to be a dual master's degree, master's in child and adolescent development and child life. So that you can say that you do have a master's degree in child life, but Mm. it's also child and adolescent development, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. So I was very busy for a while. And then I started applying to, um, for internships. Um, and I started using this wonderful resource, the child life mentor Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, to help, um, to help get my applications prepared. Mm -hmm. I was really struggling for a while, like navigating those questions, some of the the questions and making sure that they sounded really good and sounded really strong. Mm -hmm. Um, I applied for internship for both spring of 2020. Uh, I applied two rotations. So spring of 2020, I did not get any um, offers, but I did apply to, I want to say 35 places. I applied to a lot of places. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also applied when I didn't get any offers for spring of 2020, I applied to places for um, summer of 2020. Mm -hmm. And because of COVID, (laughs) this, I I did accept an offer for summer of 2020, but because of COVID that got pushed to fall of 2020. Man, once you finally were at your internship in the fall, so that's almost, I mean, that's like months and months of just like waiting, knowing that you have it, which has to feel nice, but also I'm sure there was some kind of like possibility in your head of like, what if this actually gets canceled? Oh, yeah. I was texting my my internship supervisor on a weekly basis. <laughs> oh, I'm not kidding. Like she yeah. probably had enough of me before I even started internship. Oh. She probably had enough of me because I was so concerned. Like what happens if this gets canceled mm-hmm. again? Yeah. Um, the one thing that I absolutely appreciated from this site is they guaranteed me the position, even if it got pushed another year. Mm-hmm. Thankfully it didn't. But it, even if it did, yeah. they would still hold my spot. And so that alone put me at ease knowing that I would have an internship secured, Mm -hmm. not necessarily knowing specifically when it was going to resume, but Mm -hmm. we were on track for, for fall of 2020. And that worked. I was able to complete the internship. So tell us a little bit about what your internship experience was like once you finally got there in the fall. It was interesting because I had to move state (laughs) and I have never moved states before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So packing up my car and again, with COVID, I was too worried to fly. So Mm -hmm. I decided to drive across the country, halfway across the country, rent an Airbnb that I was completely unfamiliar with in an area I was completely unfamiliar with. (laughs) So it was really putting me outside of my comfort zone. But I was Mm -hmm. also really excited since I had never done anything like this before. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know my two Mm co-interns. I I didn't know anything about this area. Yeah. Um, But it was really exciting to do that during my internship. I completed rotations both in the outpatient neurology clinic as well as an inpatient general surgery floor. And then I also had a one-week mini rotation in the NICU. The neuro clinic was my first rotation, and I would see a lot of patients with like muscular dystrophy or cerebral palsy, and I was very hesitant to this Mm -hmm. unit. I was like, I don't think this is for me. I don't think outpatient is for me. Mm -hmm. I really want to 
you know, spend time with the patients and not just have them come and go. Like, am I ever going to see these kids again? Mm -hmm. How am I going to build relationships so quickly? And so I was, I was very hesitant to this, this unit, but it turned out to be my favorite, Mm -hmm. my favorite rotation of all three of my rotations. It turned out to be my favorite. I absolutely loved my supervisor. She was incredible. And then I really enjoyed the population mm-hmm. um, we did because of the kids who were having, you know, muscular dystrophy or cerebral palsy. There was a lot of spasticity and then we had like clinics and we would do a lot of procedural support for these kids with Botox injections. So I learned all about Botox injections and what, you know, I had only known Botox as something that you, you know, injected to your face to mm-hmm. prevent wrinkles. So it was really cool to learn about what Botox actually did and how it could help these kids. And because it was an outpatient clinic, it was a very fast pace, faster than I was expecting, which I appreciate. I really like fast pace. I don't like to slow down at all because then I feel like not doing anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I appreciated the fast pace and I appreciated kind of just jumping from room to room, getting to know and build rapport with these kids very quickly and then supporting them with their Botox injections. We used a lot of non-pharmacological pain management options. We had cold spray, we had buzzy, we had, you know, we did deep breathing techniques, we did alternative focus and distraction. And so we did all the things. And I feel like because of that unit, it really set me up for where I currently am. Mm -hmm. But as well, it set me up for like the rest of my internship. Mm -hmm. I learned how to build rapport with a patient in like seven minutes, less than seven minutes. Mm -hmm. You have to learn how to do that quickly. And that has been completely invaluable to me. I think that is currently one of my strongest attributes Mm -hmm. as a child life specialist is being able to build rapport so quickly. There was also my inpatient rotation, which was um, like a general surgery floor. And we had a lot of kids coming in with um, like appies or nephrology patients, broken bones, a complete variety, which again, I also really loved because I had, I was able to do preps for all these kids for all these different surgeries. So mm-hmm. I was able to take the time to go do some research of, well, how do you even prep a kid for a kidney transplant? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how do we do this? And I was able to kind of take that time because they were impatient. I was able to take a little bit longer to build that rapport. Mm-hmm. I was able to see them after their procedure and see how they were doing and make sure that they're coping appropriately as or as best as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also got to really dive in more to those therapeutic activities and that medical play and uh, pill swallowing that I didn't have in my practicum or even in my first rotation. Yeah. So I feel like I during internship, I got a really good full picture of everything that I might come across when it's time to get a job. Yeah. During my final week um, during internship, we were able to do a mini rotation. And basically, we were able to choose mm-hmm. where we wanted to go. And by that, I mean, we gave our top three and they took the number one into the consideration. And I was able to get my top one, which was the NICU. Mm-hmm. The reason I wanted the NICU was I had absolutely no idea what that would look like, how Mm -hmm. a child life specialist was supposed to support in a NICU, because these are babies who who don't necessarily need therapeutic play. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I just didn't know what that would look like. And I really wanted to be challenged during my final week. I didn't realize how tired I was Mm -hmm. towards the final week of internship. You know, I was finishing up grad school. I was finishing up internship. Internship had assignments that go along with 
the program itself. So Mm -hmm. I was feeling really burnt out and I don't think I paid attention to myself and I didn't pay attention to how I was feeling Mm -hmm. and I wasn't taking care of myself. And about, I think it was like the second, the second day into um, my week in the NICU, which was right around Christmas. So it was supposed to be a fun week. We were supposed to have Santa come. We were going to do pictures with all the babies. It was supposed to be a really fun week. And on that second day in, which was probably a Tuesday, I did my final presentation, um, like the big project you do for internship. Mm -hmm. And sat down to debrief with my two supervisors and my two co-interns. And I just completely broke down. And I was just crying and I was so upset. And they were asking me what happened. And I told them, you know, my time in the NICU was not going the way I thought it was going to go. I supported two bereavements in the matter of two days and Mm -hmm. one at one because I was so focused on making sure I had every experience possible. I had also chosen to there was one baby who was end of life who the parents wanted to do organ donation. Mm -hmm. And so we couldn't do legacy building stuff prior. Mm. So we weren't able to do the handprints. We weren't able to do the foot molds. We weren't able to do any of that stuff. And I chose to go with my supervisor to the morgue. Mm. And again, it was an experience I really, really wanted to have because I wanted the support of a a supervisor when I was navigating these really difficult moments. So I was telling my my supervisors how this week was going for me and how it was nothing like what I expected. And I just wanted to get in my car and drive home to California and be with my family. And I didn't want to go back to the hospital. I, I didn't want to go back. I was done. That was my final week. (laughs) That was the start to my final week of internship. And it was really hard. Yeah. And what I really wanted was for my supervisor to tell me to go home and pack up and go home. (laughs) And she didn't, which I am so thankful for. (laughs) (laughs) But she didn't. She told me to go home, take the rest of the day, and then to come back the next day. And that we were going to make sure that we take the rest of the week very easy and to to adjust the way that my experience was going in the NICU and to Mm -hmm. change my expectations, Mm -hmm. um, which I think I really needed. Yeah. I'm so happy that she made me come back, even though in that moment, I just didn't want to. Mm -hmm. I got to have Santa come. We got to take the photos. I was able to talk to a couple of parents about their babies being newly admitted to the the NICU. And I was able to kind of experience what it's like to be a child life specialist. Mm-hmm. in the NICU. And and the rest of the week, which was really Wednesday, Thursday, and then only a half day on Friday, it was it was great. I tell the story mostly just to remind other students that like this is hard stuff. This is mm-hmm. not easy going through an internship. And it is so important to take care of yourself during internship. I don't know why, but I never thought that I was allowed to ask for a day off during internship. Mm. And we can. <laughs> Yeah, we can ask for a day. We can say, I need a day. I need a mental health day. We Mm -hmm. are students. We are not unbreakable. Mm -hmm. We need mental health days as students, too. And Mm -hmm. my big takeaway that I would love someone to take away from this is to make sure that you ask for a day off during internship. And I would say, too, for any supervisors or coordinators that are listening, like block those in if you can. Block in a couple extra days knowing that your students are probably going to need it. And I would tell practicum students that 
it was possible because this was going to, I mean, they're coming into our practicum five days a week for the next five weeks. And it's possible that you're going to get sick because your body's not used to also being in this environment full time. Like you come here to volunteer. That's one thing. But like you come in and your body's going to be more susceptible to picking something up because you're here more often and you haven't built up this weird hospital immunity that we all of a sudden will pick up after a year or two of working. Your body just starts to learn, um, you know, that you work here, (laughs) that you live here basically. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, And it is, I mean, I've worked my, as long as I can remember, I've worked a full-time job. I've worked Mm -hmm. a full-time job and gone to school. And that is absolutely no comparison Mm -hmm. to working full-time as a child life student Mm -hmm. uh, in an internship. Yeah. There's no comparison for the work I've done. Yeah. And then coming to the hospital. Well, and you add on too, like you mentioned the assignments and the extra responsibilities that you have that you're not technically off the clock when you go home, you have things that you do have to accomplish. And for you also then being on top of that, you're also still in grad school with its own assignments and things to do. It's, it's a lot. It's exhausting. But I, I do believe and I agree with you that there should be mental health days that hopefully your supervisors are saying to you, but that also students can feel like they can advocate for themselves before your breaking point and say, I could I could use this or I'm going to be in your office crying next next week. Like and that's I mean, that's that's something that happens, I think, for a lot of students that we just don't really talk about. So. Moving on to our next step in your journey was the certification exam. So how did you personally study for that exam? Do you have any tips or tricks for future child life specialists? The biggest thing I can say that worked for me, Mm -hmm. and this will not work for everyone, is to study with people. I was able to study with two other students who finished internship around the same time that I did. And we were able to get on Zoom together and study together. And we would basically go through questions Mm -hmm. together. We would just talk about why we chose what answer. I think we used um, Handbook of Child Life, but Mm -hmm. then there's also the, the Child Life Exam Secrets book. And so we used both of those. And then there's a couple of practice tests floating out there. I think Mm -hmm. one of them is yours. Mm -hmm. One, Right? Is it like a really long one? Super long one. Yeah, that I put together (laughs) in my internship. Yeah, Yeah, great. We use that like crazy. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I learned, and I was able to learn this during internship, it was one of our in-services, is we were taught how to take a test. Mm -hmm. And I have never in my 30 years Mm -hmm. (laughs) ever been taught of how to take a test. I had no idea that there's one correct answer and three distractor answers and how to identify distractor answers. Hmm. And that was really incredible for me to, to learn because then I was, when it came down to actually sitting for the test, I was able to identify the answers that are definitely no right away and cross those off. That's helpful. Um, yeah. So actually learning how to take a multiple choice test was hugely important. I never have like thought about multiple choice tests like that, but yeah, you're right. And there was, I do remember, even though it's been a while, I do remember there being questions where it was like, this is definitely not, and I can cross that off. And that actually is really helpful, <laughs> at least for your self-esteem. <laughs> like <laughs> For your self-esteem for sure. And then just knowing that it's one less yeah. answer. Now, okay, there's three and chances mm-hmm. are the next two are going to be the opposites of one another. Yep. 
Yeah. Chances are that's not accurate either. So you can cross those two because they're yeah. not going to be opposites. Right. So then you can cross those two off and that leaves you with your final answer. Mm-hmm. So it worked really well. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So now for the main event, <laughs> your current job, we would love to hear about. Um, what does your current position look like? I know you said you've been there since April, but like what do your days look like, the hours, anything that you can tell us? So <laughs> I wake up every morning at 4.30 in the morning. Oh. I work... <laughs> I work in an outpatient surgery building. Mm-hmm. We have our outpatient building and we have our main hospital and they're connected by this cute little bridge, but they are two different buildings and I work on the outpatient side. But all the kids who come here for surgery from home mm-hmm. come through me mm-hmm. and then they either go home or they'll be admitted. So surgery start early. Um, I leave my house. I'm up at 4.30. I leave my house around 5.30 to get to work by 6.15. Um, and then I start at 630 every morning, which I really like. Mm-hmm. It, it was an adjustment because it's very early, but I get off at three o'clock. So I feel like I still have the afternoon ahead of me. I feel like I can still go out to dinner with friends mm-hmm. without it getting super late. I did also work in surgery for like 18 months. And I do remember it was hard, I feel like, in the beginning. But once your body gets into that routine, you're like, okay, I know how to do this. Like, Yeah. Yeah. And then you do, you have your afternoons free. Yeah. Yeah. And on the weekend, I can't sleep past like 630 now. It kind of sucks sometimes, Mm -hmm. but I also kind of like it because then it forces me to get up early and I have to start my day pretty early. And I I really like my routine because Mm -hmm. I have to get to bed by a certain time in order to be able to wake up at 430 in the morning. Yeah. Did you ever imagine yourself working in this unit like throughout practicum or internship? Were you ever like, oh, yeah, I I want to work in like an outpatient pre-op? No, no, (laughs) (laughs) no. I wasn't really exposed to this type of unit during Mm -hmm. practicum or internship. What I was exposed to during internship was surgery. Mm-hmm. And I did really enjoy that floor. Mm-hmm. And I really did enjoy outpatient neurology clinics. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hmm, stick outpatient and surgery together. Yeah. And you have my position. Yeah. Um, so no, I never really thought of it. But it kind of made sense based on my background, which is also what, you know, the hiring manager had agreed, you know, looking mm-hmm. at she's like, well, you have outpatient experience. And so like, you know, the pace of outpatient, mm-hmm. but also you have inpatient experience. So you know how to do surgery preps, you know how mm-hmm. to support for surgeries. The one big part that I do multiple times a day is I go into the ORs with kids mm-hmm. and I help with induction. So we do the mask preparation. We decorate it with stickers. We take practice deep breaths with it. We put a smell on the inside mm-hmm. and then we go into the OR that this is my first time ever having done anything like that. Yeah. Um, which I love doing. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun, but it's also really scary sometimes because working with anesthesiologists and and surgeons can be scary. Yes. <laughs> I really enjoy it. And even just going into an OR is scary. Like mm-hmm. I, there's so much stuff. There's sharp things. There's sterile things. I don't want to touch the wrong thing. So mm-hmm. in the very beginning, it took me a while even to get comfortable with walking a child into the OR and figuring out how to navigate my body in there. Mm -hmm. Where do I stand so that I'm with the child? But the anesthesiologist is at the child's head. So how am I supposed to be at the child's head? Right. And then nursing has their own duties. Yeah. So it took a while to kind of figure out how to place myself. Yeah. In an OR. Yeah. The nice thing is that you're usually 
after a while, you're starting to work with a lot of the same people. So you start to get into a routine of like, okay, when I'm working with this nurse, I stand here. But when I'm working with this nurse, I stand where that nurse stands. So like, but you totally, you have to learn so many different people's things. And I always, when <laughs> you're just reminding me so much of like when I was in outpatient surgery with my coworker, we both piloted this position and we, we, we always talked about how there was 30 anesthesiologists that by the like first or second month, we knew all of their names. Nobody could remember our names. And we were like, there are 30 plus of you and there are two of us, (laughs) but you do, that's how you got to build rapport quickly with these people, get them to like you, have your spot ready for you, not touch the sterile things on your way to your spot. It's intimidating back there for sure. And you're with people who, as much as I grew to really love being down in in the surgery area, I mean, these people have chosen to work with people who are asleep. So it's not like you typically have the super personable people back there. Does that make sense? (laughs) No bad things to the surgery people. No, totally, totally. That's something that I didn't think about until I was like a solid three months in here. Mm-hmm. One of my nurses was like, Sabrina, these people work with, with children who are asleep. Mm-hmm. Of course, they don't know how to interact with kids sometimes. Correct. <laughs> and that just was never a, a thought to me. Like, yeah. you work in a pediatric hospital, therefore you like kids. Mm-hmm. Well, but your Not- kids are asleep, so you don't really have <laughs> to like them even. This is just yeah. your job. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So in this position now that you've been in for seven, eight months, what has been your highest high that you've experienced so far and your lowest low? I don't think that there's a particular highest high. Okay. Um, I do this thing where I, at the end of every day in my phone, I will type something positive that happened that day. Oh, I really like that. It's just, it doesn't, it could be something simple. It doesn't even have to relate to my unit. Mm-hmm. It could be, I had lunch with one of my coworkers mm-hmm. or it could be a really great interaction with a patient. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter what it was, just one good thing, mm-hmm. one positive thing that happened that day. I admit I don't do it absolutely every single day because sometimes I forget, but I have loved doing that because then I get to go back and look through this list of moments that I had clearly were very impactful for me on that day. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when I'm like, I'm not feeling really good. This is just feels like a crummy day. This I'm having imposter syndrome today. I just go through that list and I look at all of those highs that are, that I'm having. I was feeling that way actually yesterday. And so one of the, the highs that I had looked at that I was trying to remember, like the memory of it was like the first time that an anesthesiologist truly asked for my input mm-hmm. on whether a child needed pre-medication, mm-hmm. whether this child would benefit from the parent putting a bunny suit on and going into the OR, mm-hmm. whether this, whether I was able to go in with that patient. You know, that was just one of the ones that stood out to me when I was looking through my highs the other day. Yeah. And I feel like anytime that moment happens is a good, it's a good day Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. because everyone is so wrapped up in what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? Surgeons are getting consent. Nurses are doing pre-op. Everyone is talking and doing their own thing. But when somebody, surgeon, nurse, anesthesiologist, come to you, the child life specialist, and mm-hmm. ask you for your input, mm-hmm. that feels really, really, really damn good. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> and so I, I seek those moments. 
mm-hmm. because that just makes me feel part of the team and valued and like, wow, yeah. I'm not just the iPad lady. I am someone else too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of keeping track of them. So that way they don't, you don't realize sometimes a high from one day doesn't match up to the same high the next day, but it was still a high that day. Like that day, that was the best thing that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Any kind of low lows that you've experienced? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, that one I have its own list. (laughs) You know, we got our own list for that one. You know, I would say my biggest low so far was it wasn't a moment. Mm -hmm. It was a few months into this job And I was starting to have really bad imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Like I was kind of confused as to why did I choose this job? What, Mm -hmm. what actually made me want to do this? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really remember that story. What, like, and I was trying to tell myself that story again Yeah. of this is why you chose this job. Mm -hmm. And I felt like a lot of my interactions weren't going great. I felt like I was struggling to build, to continue to build rapport. I felt we had come to a plateau with the mm-hmm. rest of the staff. And I was just kind of struggling to, to find my spot within my team, not child life team, but mm-hmm. with my team, with my team of nurses and surgeons and anesthesiologists. And that happened only a few months in, which really scared me, mm-hmm. really, because I just completely overthought it and wondered, is this how it's going to be? Like, is this how every child life position is? And just nobody talks about it. Mm. And it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll answer my question. It's not like that. <laughs> But there are moments like that. Yeah. And I could, you know, be a year in, in a few months and be, I am very well integrated on this team. And I still might have days like that right. where you just feel like you're not fitting in and you're yep. not meshing and you're not working as symbiotic, mm-hmm. as symbiotically as you could mm-hmm. with other people in your department. I think that that is something that a lot of people can relate to. And it's something that I think takes students who just start a new job. It takes them like, what's the phrase? Takes them aback because they're, they're like, they they go through that where they go, was I supposed to do this? Was I, I thought I was supposed to feel good all the time. And sometimes there's no rhyme or reason why you're feeling that way. It's just, that's just where you're kind of at. And so you got to find the thing, like, I think you starting that, like, almost like the gratitude of like, what, what was positive today, doing that repeatedly can make a difference. It really can, because you're now you're looking for the good. You're not just expecting it to show up, like you're looking for it. And you're acknowledging that that this was a good part of my day, you know, and this is why right. I do what I do. And, um, cause you're right. Some days it does, you get to the end of your week and you're like this week blue, like the, mm-hmm. I could not do anything right as a child life specialist. And I'm, I'm the only one that feels this way. Nobody's ever experienced this. Everybody's looking at me going, she's a bad child life specialist. <laughs> and honest to God, no one's looking at you. No one's looking right. at you ever. <laughs> no, it's so true there. I mean, there's been times when I've had a a screaming toddler who Mm -hmm. just doesn't want to be here. They're hungry Mm -hmm. and they don't want to have their blood pressure taken Mm -hmm. right now. And everyone looks to me to make them stop crying. (laughs) And I'm just like, I don't know if I can. Right. I don't have a magic wand. Sometimes we're just hungry. Surgery (laughs) is the worst because you're, I mean, it's like sometimes this kid just wants food and that's the one Mm -hmm. thing I cannot give. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's, it's really hard. It's, it is really hard, especially when they do start looking at you mm-hmm. and you're kind of like, 
well, you weren't looking at me the other day, but now that you need help, yeah. <laughs> now you're looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you, you do your best, you go in mm-hmm. and sometimes it's absolutely amazing. And you have these amazing interactions where that child does stop screaming because yeah. you brought the right toys in right. and they just completely click with you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And I have to walk away from that moment and say, I did everything I was able to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes less people is better. Yes. I did not learn that until a ways into my job. And then, and it was still conflicting for me to walk out of the room and be like, no, but, but you know, (laughs) you know that it's better for less people. And you're the only person that has a choice to be in that room. There's two other people that have to be in that room because they're starting the IV (laughs) and you don't have to. And it's better if you're not. Like it's better if you're there immediately after with a toy or something. Totally. And I, I, we don't do a lot of IV starts here, but every once in a while Mm -hmm. I'll float around the hospital and we do like consult coverage Mm -hmm. and I'll have to cover another unit. And, um, that does happen because we don't, I don't do a lot of IVs. Most of what we're doing is mask induction. Mm -hmm. But when I have those situations that it's kind of uncharted territory in a sense for me, because I don't do IVs Mm -hmm. very often, I remind myself. I can be there for the recovery. Yeah. Screaming and crying is coping. Yeah. Yep. Remind myself, screaming and crying is coping. Mm -hmm. And I can be there in the recovery to help bring them back down to calm really quickly. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's my job. That's going to be my role. Yeah. And no one else might see that as a success in that room. Mm -hmm. But I know that's successful. Yeah. And that parent knows it's successful. Yeah. I guess kind of either broadly or if you have any specifics, but like how has it been adjusting from student to professional? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I wish there was a – oh, gosh. I don't even know how to say this. So that was a weird transition for me. Yeah. No one ever told me about what that transition would look and feel like. Mm -hmm. But there is this transition because during – grad school, during practicum, during internship, you have all of this support. Mm -hmm. You are doing weekly meetings. You have co-interns who are going through exactly the same thing that you're going through. You have an advisor to talk to at school. You have other people in your cohort to talk to. When you start working, I still have a ton of support from my colleagues and from my managers, but it is so different because I am the only one on my unit. Mm -hmm. I don't have another pre-op child life specialist with me. I'm doing this by myself. Mm-hmm. And yes, I still have meetings with my managers and we do supervision, but that's a one hour meeting once a month. If I needed more, I could ask for it. But the type of the type of support drastically changes and you don't really recognize it. Yeah. And for me personally, this sounds awful. <laughs> for me personally, I almost feel like having that support during internship and um, during grad school was a really big deal for me, a bigger deal for me than I thought, because Mm -hmm. it was almost a form of therapy for me Mm. to meet with my supervisors and to talk things through. I am someone who has to talk things out. Yeah. I can't internally process. I externally process those things and I verbalize them. Mm -hmm. And to not have that on a regular basis was really hard for me. And I was like, okay. I think I need to go back to therapy. Yeah. If I, if that's the support that I'm looking for and that's the support I'm seeking from my managers, mm-hmm. that's the type of support I think I need to have in my personal life as well. Mm-hmm. Because it's such a, it's, it's a weird transition. And then I had this moment, mm, I think I was maybe four months in 
um, to this job, maybe three months into this job. And I almost felt like I was in a routine. I was so focused on getting to this unit that I was thinking, wow. So a kid comes, I prep them, we do a mask, I do all these things, we go to, into induction, they fall asleep, I talk to the parent, and then I start over again with the next patient. Mm-hmm. And it felt like this constant circle. Yeah. And it was kind of this, was this it? Mm-hmm. Did I did I do all this? Like I did all that work and this is what I'm doing? Like this is, is this what I want to do? And I would mm-hmm. ask myself all these questions again of, oh gosh, is this not what I want to do? And I had a mini freak out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I was in this mindset of the pathway to becoming a child life specialist. Mm-hmm. You have to do a practicum. You have to do an internship. You have to volunteer. You have to do all these things to make sure that you look good on a piece of paper mm-hmm. to, to get to the point that you want and to pass the exam. And then I would come to work every day and then I'd go to home, go home every day. And it's kind of like, okay, well now what? And what I had to really force myself to do was to just chill, <laughs> chill out and, and just sit in your job. Mm-hmm. and and be there for a while and it feels uncomfortable because we're so conditioned to go 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 mm-hmm. and once you get there <laughs> where else are you supposed to go mm-hmm. what else are you supposed to do so that was a really awkward phase for me for a little bit because I felt like I was missing something I yeah. felt like I was supposed to be doing something else I was supposed to be doing more or and I, I just felt like this couldn't be it like what else am I supposed to do mm-hmm. however as I sat in the position a little bit longer you know things come up things just kind of naturally fall into place mm-hmm. they naturally come up for example we have these curtains that separate the beds in the pre-op area and they're just not a very good color and they don't have a very good pattern. So I'm working to get those replaced. Mm. It's not necessarily my immediate job to get those really get those curtains replaced. But as child life specialists, we also want to make sure that we have a positive and healing environment for our kids. Mm-hmm. So that is part of my job. And so you find these little projects that make it feel like, okay, I'm not just doing the same procedural prep, procedural the support mm-hmm. time and time again. Yeah. I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I think that's something that a lot of people experience. And I love what you said about, oh, if I'm not going to get support all the time, like I'm used to, I should probably go back to therapy. <laughs> Cause like, I mean, that's yeah. really smart. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of students or, you know, new child life specialists who are listening, if that's you, like go, go to therapy, go back or start. Yeah. Cause great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's very helpful. And it's, it's to process not only things that in your personal life, but right. they're, they're also an unbiased person mm-hmm. that you could share things about work with and Absolutely. anything that you're frustrated at work with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a big <laughs> little light bulb moment for me that I was, I didn't realize that I needed that kind of support. Yeah. Um, continuing this career. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to move into the last three questions that I ask everybody. So if someone's listening today and they're really resonating with what you're saying about starting your first job in the pre-op unit, what is one piece of advice you'd give to them in order for them to be successful on this unit? One thing that was really important to me and that I feel like I really benefited from was that I just took my time. Mm -hmm. I took my time on my unit. And what I mean by that is I did not try to see every patient. Mm-hmm. I tried to not feel that pressure. I can't see every patient. So why am I going to try? Why am I going to break myself to try? Mm-hmm. Plus, 
I need to focus on building rapport with my staff mm-hmm. because they're the ones who are going to refer kids to me when they're doing an intake and they hear that a patient is really scared. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are going to find me and they need to feel comfortable to call on my cell, page me, call me over the intercom, whatever it is, mm-hmm. seek me out some way when that happens. Mm-hmm. And so I really took the time to spend time with my pre-op staff. Um, we have our nurses station. I chose to never be in my office. I was always out at the nurses station charting, mm-hmm. even just sitting there. That's where I would sip my coffee. I um, would every once in a while when I was, would get new um, orders in of new toys, I would bring it to the nurses station. I'd be like, hey, guys, look at this. Like, isn't this fun? And they love it. Yeah. They they find these sensory toys just as exciting to play with that I do and mm-hmm. that all these kids do. Not only do they know now what I have available for them to utilize with the kids, mm-hmm. but they're feeling included in what I'm doing. It's yeah. not just nursing and then Sabrina with child life. Right. It's we're a team mm-hmm. and these are tools for you to utilize as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so really taking that time to build relationships with with everyone, everyone, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. our, our front staff who is the registration clerk. I spend time with her mm-hmm. because I want her to know which days I'm here, which days I'm not here. Mm-hmm. It's it's important to build those relationships and to foster them and take that, that time. And in the beginning, you don't have to see every child. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're really, I think you should focus on getting to know the people that you're going to be working with long-term. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something, you know, fresh out of an internship, just past your certification exam, like you want to go into this job and be everything for everyone and, you know, just go full speed ahead. But it's, that's a fast track to burning straight out. Like, um, when I started this new job at the school, something that my mom said to me was, if you always work at a hundred percent or above, you're never allowed to have a, a, a bad day. So she goes, you need to cap yourself at 75% because then you're going to be able to take some of the things that you can't control. I can't control if a student Mm -hmm. comes into my office and is bawling their eyes out and I had a plan for something else at that time. But like if you give yourself room to breathe, you're not going to burn out as fast and you have that extra time to build rapport with the people who are going to be the ones that are referring and thinking of you when something Mm -hmm. happens. So I think that that was so smart of you to do like for your first job because I think it's so easy to do the exact opposite and then feel like you're in over your head because you gave a hundred percent always I yeah and I don't I feel like I I, your mom is very 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 smart she's so smart (laughs) she's so smart (laughs) I think I think I we can't work at a hundred percent all the time and if we try we are setting ourselves up for failure right. and we're just going to get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. 75%. I like that number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then you are allowed to do more. You can have 90% days or 95% days. But when you, you know, trickle back down to 75, nobody's going like, oh, she's doing diddly squat today. Like, it's yeah. like, no, this is my average. Like, this is what I usually do. <laughs> I usually bring this yes. to the table. <laughs> so, I do obviously have a lot of students that follow along and listen to the podcast. So what is one thing that you'd say to them as a tip for moving through this profession? This is going to sound so cliche and I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm 
so sorry. Um, but be patient and be persistent. Mm. It, it, you do have to work really, really, really hard. So yeah, fight, fight to get what you want because you are probably deserving of it. Mm -hmm. You should get that position, fight for it, work really hard to fight for it. Um, and do that through, through work, through, Mm -hmm. through the way you navigate internship. I also really, really think that, um, it's, it's a really hard thing to do, but ask for feedback and mm-hmm. be accepting of that feedback. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do. Yeah. And that is something I think it, that's really powerful to learn as a student is to be willing and able to ask for that feedback because it will only serve you in the future. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The last fun one. If child life is a wild life, what has been the wildest part of your experience so far? You know, I think the wildest part of this so far has I don't even, I can't even really think that there's a specific moment, but you know, just the, the idea that I got up and just moved to Texas was pretty cool for me. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's not something that I would have ever done. Mm -hmm. Nothing would have made me do that except for this internship. Right. Um, I would have gotten up and moved anywhere Mm -hmm. that I financially could. Mm -hmm. I would, I would, I would have gone anywhere. And so getting up and moving to Texas and diving into a place that I am completely unfamiliar with and driving there by myself, not really knowing where I'm going or how I'm supposed to get there. Um, that was pretty, pretty wild for me. Yeah. Another kind of wild and fun um, thing is that I had met a friend on Instagram through the child life community mm-hmm. and we ended up applying for jobs together at this hospital. Mm-hmm. And we both ended up getting a position here which was kind of cool because we had been friends for maybe a year. We had Aww. been with each other, um, supporting each other through internship experiences. Mm-hmm. And then we studied for the exam together and then we got jobs together. So I also think that's pretty cool. That's very cool. And to start like as a new child life specialist at a job where you can be like, I already have a friend here. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, cause you're already yeah. exhausting yourself, building rapport with your staff that you work with. It's nice to already know somebody that's on your child life staff. So that's very cool. Totally. It was pretty cool. It was yeah. like, wow, like we're in this together. Yeah. We got, we each have someone and it was just kind of one of those like lovely little moments of fate, yeah. you know, it was like this was supposed to be and that's pretty yeah. cool. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was, I'm actually glad because originally I was supposed to have you on like over the summer but then my <laughs> life got crazy and your life got crazy. And I actually yeah. think this was perfect because you've had so much more experience in this role that even a couple times when you were saying like at four months or at five months, I was like, oh, good, good. Cause you wouldn't <laughs> have had that month had I interviewed you in July. Like totally. So yep. this was perfect. I agree. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so happy we got to do this. 